Vision on Sound here on Fab Radio International with me, Martin Holmes. You know, sometimes here on Vision on Sound we, we find ourselves with an abundance of riches and that, obviously, is a very happy place to be. As you heard on our Doctor Who broadcast a couple of weeks ago, I had a couple of long conversations with both Hayden Gribble from the Diddly Dumb podcast and Toby Haydoke, both of which were far, far too long to fit inside one edition of the programme. Since then, I've also had more NASAs with yet more fascinating people who are interested in this strange world of old telly that we are continually investigating here on Vision on Sound, and so suddenly we find ourselves with lots of chat and not enough space to fit it in. Would that we always have this problem, eh, folks? Anyway, I've been looking at the list of files and I decided to share a couple of them with you rather than recording any more and increasingly... Well, it, well, it's not exactly a problem, is it? I thought maybe I'd sort of just flip a coin, which seems to be the way most elections seem to be solved these days, but mm, there's been a little bit more selection going on than that. So, today's edition is mostly made up of long instalments continuing those two interviews from two weeks ago, along with a little bit of my own nonsense just to keep things in perspective. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the interviews. So, once again, it's time to crank up the old time engines and wibbly-wobbly our way, future to the back, and see what the not-at-all-random interview generator brings you first. First stop, we pop back round to Toby Haydoke's house to pick up the chat where we last left it, with us discussing Toby's need to support the underdog, which I, as is sometimes my wont, used as an opportunity to talk about English cricket. But don't worry about that. We soon moved on to other, more telly-related things, and the cricket stuff really is relevant. Honest. Well, sort of. Anyway, we rejoined Toby where we left off last time, still defending that once underrated delight that is the Patrick Troughton Doctor Who story, The Enemy of the World. I have to say, I had always rather liked Enemy of the World, so I, mm. I, I feel like a bit of an I told you so um, mm. uh, with, with that one. But then again, I also know I am prone to sort of like the underdog because that's how I identify and that goes back <laughs> to that school stuff that we were doing. So part of me might sort of go, I've got to be the one that likes the one that everybody else doesn't mm. like because that proves I don't run with the crowd, which in its is in its own way a way of running with a different sort of crowd. So it's the psychology of these things. <laughs> yeah, you're not paying any chance of England cricket follower, are you? I, I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the two might be related. You know? yeah. <laughs> I absolutely love Test match cricket, but I think the only reason I ever started being any at all interested in cricket is because of Peter Davison. Ah, really? I went out and bought a cricket jumper, and I thought, oh. <laughs> 
Ah, that's interesting. I, I, it was because I was, by the, being the youngest, my, my brother and sister had left home and I was stuck at home with, with my mum and you, you had to help out around the house at the weekend. Yes. Uh, and she would have the cricket on the radio and it was mm. actually, and I played at school as well and it was the only sport I yes. was in, vaguely respectable at because you didn't have to run very fast and all of that. Again, it was the sort of imagination required mm. to engage with a game that you yeah. couldn't see because it was conjured for you entirely by these, these series of bubbles bumbling eccentrics and it's sort of a bit like Doctor Who you know your yeah. guide was this very clever person whose uh, social interaction was not mm. the same as the confident kids at school yeah. it's, it's a bit like that I, oh yeah absolutely I'm, I'm absolutely appalled at how long it took me to find TMS I think you know oh. on the radio I really I'm nowadays I, I mean I, I I do remember Jonas you know on yeah. the radio yeah but but it it I was it must have been the real tail end of him doing it you know it really must have been and uh, and, I'm, and now I think oh why was I just sitting and watching it <laughs> oh yeah no we used to, it, and, and on the rare occasion we did have it on the telly we'd turn the sound down and have the radio mm. commentary on which it was quite common yeah and of course yeah. uh, when you when you think about someone like you know I what I liked about CMJ was the fact he wasn't really a cricketer I think that's that's just you know he was a it was an enthusiast yes and enthusiasts I think do an incredible job. I mean, this is why the things, you know, like the podcasts and what have you, they all work because people love what they're talking about, you know, and I think that's a brilliant thing. You well, know? and it, I have to say it stood me in, in, in good stead with the one man, <laughs> with the, the one man show that I did, you know, the one thing that people who, you know, even non Doctor Who fans who came to mm. come to see it because they were comedian colleagues who were being supportive or whatever said, mm. what you've really got on your side is that it's genuine. So mm. that that the energy that powers you through the show, even if people are not quite getting all of the references if they're not Doctor Who, although the, mm. it was designed to be understood by non-Doctor Who fans, but they said even if we couldn't specifically identify with the the moment, uh, yes. you know, we, the, the, um, the, the sheer joy you had of communicating your love for this thing sort of powers the show, and that's that's not to be underestimated. Yeah. And actually, we you know, we are in the... In, in the era of the enthusiast now I've just been looking mm. at podcasts online to try and research because mm. it's a whole brave new world to me and and mm. like when I stumbled across across yours the, the mm. age said I just went this I want two people who know what they're talking about talking <laughs> about Doomwatch but the the idea that 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 could be a thing even 10 years ago mm. seems uh, extraordinary but also the quality part and it's partially mm. because I think telly and radio have been very lazy and that, that who mm. they will call upon for experts um, Melandra and Lisa, who do uh, around the archives, uh, which I can recommend to you. Oh, they're love. I I know yeah. them. They're lovely yeah. people. Yeah. But they they were saying that they were watching one of these TV nights on Channel Four or whatever, and it was just lots of people who didn't know what they were talking and going, "Oh, that was great!" Or yes, that was, it's and you just think it's telling me nothing. It's you know. infuriating. And when you read mm. when you read even sort of in newspapers, you know, their their television reviewers or whatever, mm. there are people like John Williams who are mm. brilliant writers who are mm. very funny and caustic and absolute experts who sort of have to do it largely I know John's done stuff professionally but mm. but, but often as as a hobby and, and 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 then when it's when the mainstream are doing it they get the guy who used to write the motoring column and you go mm. what you wouldn't you wouldn't have the cookery column 
done no. by the guy that used to do the legal column who suddenly got a better agent and wants to wants yeah. to diversify or whatever yeah. but but it for is. television because everybody watches television it seemed mm. acceptable that any old tom dick and harry's uh, mm. opinion uh, is 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 worth counting even if they've never if they don't know who herbert wise is and you go well if you know if you don't know who herbert wise is you shouldn't be writing or, or broad, <laughs> broadcasting about 1970s television uh, mm. and that's not because i'm a you, and you wouldn't call that geekery in any other no. field you know no um, i was i was saying that in in the very first of our vision on sound uh, radio broadcasts such as they are is that it needs to be treated in the same way you treat any other arts program really yeah you know, people will will do programs about poetry, and they'll, they'll do programs about you know art and music, and yet when it comes to television, they don't seem to go. They don't seem to treat it with quite the same respect, and that's well, kind of worrying at times. I think a lot a lot of people that write about television seem to actively despise the medium that they're writing about. Do uh, they which... say that lots of people who work in television never watch it? <laughs> well, it did, it <laughs> but it, it's it again. It seems slightly odd that it's the mm. one thing where you can you can sort of yeah largely be disdainful or ignorant mm. of it, uh, and, and yet earn a living being mm. being slightly glib about it. Which is somebody that you know, I don't dis goggle box at all as a format, but it's not how I would want to talk about television. You know, no, but that's and and actually them doing that is sort of okay because they don't they don't pretend to be anything other than mm. sort of you know characters watching a TV at home. But but mm. then I don't want that person to have a column in a broadsheet <laughs> telling me that I Claudius is a bit boring. Do you know what I mean? Ah, <laughs> oh, the swines. Uh, but but you know that that's the cross we have to bear as TV fans. But there we go. Yes, it is. It is indeed. Yes. So in terms of your career trajectory, is that the right word? <laughs> Um, but the, in the sense that you 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 came to decide you'd like to do this show. This was what twenty years. You've been a fan twenty twenty years or so by that stage, or was it not quite? I have been a fan all of my life, and mm. I did that show. I started writing that show, Mothsape, My Doctor Who Scarf, in about two thousand and five. I mm. guess was when the idea was actually sort of given to me by a friend. I was. Um, he, we were having a conversation about writing a book, which he, he thought, mm. and I said, uh, I said, oh, I can't really write a book. I haven't got the discipline, but I do have a title. Um, I've got two of them I'm... in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I have since. Yeah, I have. Um, and uh, and 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 I had been going through. I was, you know, I'd suddenly I was a person with a house and a couple of mm. kids, which surprised mm. me. Uh, mm. So in 2005, I was, what, 74, 84, 94? I was 31. Uh, right. I'd been, a, I'd been a sort of jobbing comedian, but I'd always been a Doctor Who fan. And I'd, I'd occasionally, I remember the, they did a Doctor Who night and it was done by BBC Manchester. And I'd mm. sort of written in and gone, look, if you want a talking head of somebody who knows what they're mm. talking about, you know, I'm a... I'm, a, I'm here. You, you, yes. you'll, you shouldn't, you know, my, my work's mm. known around Manchester and you know, I broadcast a bit. I've done bits and bobs. Uh, mm. And, of course, never heard back. They probably recorded it by then. Again, you couldn't email... I was writing a letter. <laughs> it was probably... <laughs> Probably in the can, and I just read in Doc Two magazine it was being done by BBC Manchester or whatever. Mm. Um, and so, so, so you you woke up one morning and thought I could do a show about this. Well, I I'd been going through boxes in in the house that we'd, mm. we'd moved into. I think we were clearing out the wardrobe, getting rid of some clothes mm. that didn't fit or whatever. And I found this Doctor Who scarf I had knitted as a kid because there wasn't much to do in the countryside, and Mum had a load of old wool left over and mm. said, "Why don't you do this?" And um, uh, so I knitted a Doctor Who scarf, and it had been eaten by moths. Mm. Uh, and and to me, that was a the perfect summation of 
uh, dashed childhood dreams of the, of the <laughs> loss of childhood, the the destruction of magic, uh, yeah. and the 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 encroach of sort of real life and boring mm. real life. And I thought it was a great title, and I still do. And I said to my friend, I've got this title, Moths Ate My Doctor Who Scarf, and he said. And he was an ex-comic who'd, mm. who'd gone back into business because he likes earning a living and, mm. and, and having a pension, uh, but still sort of vicariously in, enjoyed comedy through me, his mm. friend who was a comedian. Uh, and he said, do it as an Edinburgh show. Mm. Uh, and he helped me with it. He ended up directing the show and was very encouraging. Right. And I, I wouldn't have done it without him. Um, but the, so so that was the conversation. And I'd, and I'd been watching comics at Edinburgh, having not had much of an ambition to do it because I, I never think I'm good enough or, 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 or you know, I, I've, I've never quite thought. I've always had imposter syndrome. Uh, mm. And I was like, I was, well, I'm, just an act, all. <laughs> I'm just an actor doing a bit of comedy. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, but I've, I've been watching some friends go to Edinburgh. I remember Jason Manfred had, had a good one. Alan Carr had, had a good one. And mm. they were all from the same sort of circuit as me there were people I, I you know knocked about with and yeah. they all went and, and seemed to have a good time and I thought a little bit oh well, I don't mind having a go at that but mm. I went up with no expectation but um, my timing was really good and mm. uh, so so then having it's a useful it's a useful label isn't it really Doctor Who it does have a kind of built in audience and but the problem is that people think you're being cynical but actually it was it was a good title it was, and and people, yes, I think people did until they saw it, and then they go, oh no, he even knows which episode of the War Machine is, is called Doctor Who. Uh, you know, he knows who John Abenary is. Okay, this yes. this isn't this isn't. I like the one with the scarf, and indeed, I addressed mm. that in the show. And I think because it mm. chimed with a lot of people. But yeah. all, my 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 reticence actually was that I wanted to be taken seriously as an actor, yes. and I thought if I am. Um, out and proud as a Doctor Who fan, that might harm my chances as an actor of ever getting uh, uh, being taken seriously in, in in that regard. Whereas actually, be, being the Doctor Who guy um, has has helped with mm. with so many. I mean, I don't you know I don't aspire to be a talking head on I Love the Nineteen Seventies. Although no. I, I'm sometimes annoyed if there's a program I know about and I'm not just because I could do with the money and I could do a better job oh, than yeah. some of the people that have just been shown a clip of something. <laughs> That's a different <laughs> argument. It's it's it's, yeah. it's one thing to be annoyed about something you're not that bothered about doing. Mm. Um, um, no, absolutely. But but uh, it did what it did do was it it, it, it opened me. I met me, I met a lot of Doctor Who fans that mm. I didn't really know, uh, and mm. I've now got friends around the world. I didn't re- I didn't go to conventions really. I went to no. a couple of Panopticons in the late eighties, but that right. was because a friend took me. But I was but but so it it opened up that whole new world. Mm. But crucially, it opened up the. I'd, I'd I'd always fancied a go at doing DVD commentaries, but again, mm. never thought never thought well, I'd get yeah. the chance. I think a lot of people sit at home thinking I could I could do that, and then of course you know <laughs> it never happened. And yet, but it, so it did, it does actually open it did actually open a lot of doors for you into because now I mean now uh, like you say you're actually presenting the the extras, aren't you? The films on the on the new ones. Yeah, I, I mean again that sort of happened by a, a series of accidents. I I uh, I think so. Are you comfortable think, in front of a, a camera? I mean that that tends to help, I would imagine. Well, I, I guess that sort of walking in a straight line and, and, and talking <laughs> at the same time. But you know, there's there's not some sort of cabal of of, of Doctor Who fans patting each other on the back and giving each other work. I got no, but, uh, as uh, I think has been suggested. I I got the I got the commentary through through the Edinburgh show. I didn't know anybody, mm. but and somebody saw it and said, "Oh, he." 
you know, we, we could do with somebody to... He's got a voice! Yeah, the, 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 the rescue in the Romans, where, where, where the average mm. age will be 82 or whatever. Uh, uh, and then I, I did a few of those, and then a different producer came on board, and I thought, oh, well, uh, you know, I won't be working mm. for them then. And then they needed something, and I helped with that, and so then mm. I got that. So I've worked with a series of different yeah. people, um, uh, and I expect every single one to be the last one mm-hmm. uh, and uh, wow. then somebody comes up with a with with another idea i've occasionally mm. pitched an idea yeah. um and, and not always successfully so um so for example the, the documentary on the sensor rights was mm. was my idea to, to find mm. out about peter r newman because we knew nothing about him mm. um that's oh, so a good one that I remember. Um, that. Yeah, I'm really proud of that because we actually yeah. solved we we solved a long-standing mystery that nobody knew uh, mm. until that documentary was out. And then, of course, somebody went and updated Wikipedia, so now it's you know the the, 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 the sort of impact of that yes. mystery solving has has gone almost immediately. Yeah. I bet ten they ten years that. on, and people just it's, it's a bit like Tomb of the Cybermen. People take it for granted now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I, I bet they went and updated Wikipedia before they wrote and said, "I really enjoyed that documentary. Well, thank you for teaching me something new." I must go and put down this fact and yeah, take the magic out of life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. never mind. <laughs> but uh, no, that was what I, I, I. The thing I remember most about that is that sense uh, that the, you're, we all in our lives, however you know remotely, we all sort of leave little footprints in in history. And the way you were just you know tracking those down was was just beautifully done. I just remember that. It's very 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 nice nice sort of poignancy to it i do find that quite touching i think again as a kid in the countryside in the middle of nowhere youngest of four my, my dad had gone when i was well, i i did feel a little bit sort of unimportant and un, mm. unloved i think and the idea that you know i'd read these names of sort of doctor who people the idea that you somehow lived on because mm. you played second guard in you know, the reign of terror or whatever <laughs> as long as it's not the only thing in the obituary it's fine but i but, but i i found that quite and, and they were names to conjure with because they were yes. people who were making magic they weren't to me you know just people turning up for a day's no. work trying to earn a few quid there was there was something about being involved in doctor who that was magical mm. um, and to be part of that would you know solve all of life's problems of course mm. when you grow up you you, you realize it's different than that but 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 the, i th- and it's and i think it's why i was drawn to doing the obituaries as well it's the idea mm. that you give you give somebody a decent send-off you acknowledge yes. what they've done you you sort of salute the the, the impact they've made because mm. all these character actors that i write obits for you know they're mm. people that i looked out for in programs and mm. and, and, and brought a bit of magic into my life so yes. the le- and, and then when you meet them they go god i was just trying to scrape a living and i'm sorry <laughs> anyone's ever heard of me so i sort yes. of go so i actively pitch those articles to the mm. guardian now i go look you, your readers will know who this person mm. was and i like to think i've got a few people uh, a column that might that they might not ordinarily have got had somebody not been um, fighting their corner but again I like the Doctor Who presenting stuff Mm. I don't consider that my job that's just a hobby that's got out of hand I'm an actor and a comedian and all of the other stuff (laughs) I would would argue you're a polymath I I think you've you've got all these these different strands going on and uh, yeah I you know like you say I mean names like Cyril Shapps John John Abinari you know they they kind of they roll off the tongue to the likes of us and people go and then you show them a picture and you, oh him oh him Her. exactly yeah uh, uh, and I would never claim to be an 
an expert either. My, mm. if I do have knowledge, it's it's not through any active study. It's just due to way, I guess, my brain retains some information. Well, they always surprise me. I mean, here I am trying trying to somehow bumble together some kind of show about television, and every single time I realise how little I know. I mean, it's so, it's almost infinite. Yeah. And you kind of think, well, we'll do a show and we'll do another one, and hopefully people will come and listen to us and talk to us and, and maybe we'll find out I don't you know I never claim to be an expert on everything but I like to think that are there are people out there who might be able to put me right on a few things you know but in terms of that you know not knowing stuff I I have blind spots I couldn't tell you a production code uh, if mm. I tried the locations because I was terrible at geography anyway you know somebody says you know where was that episode filmed mm. I wouldn't be able to tell you in a million mm. years um, if somebody said, you know, can you name all the actors who played guards? I'd go, yeah, I'll probably understand. <laughs> um, but and again, the fiction within the fiction, I'm not, I'm not too hot on. Um, mm. uh, but yeah, the stuff. Beauty the stuff though, isn't it? There's a beauty of the sort of jigsaw puzzle of all. Because like I say, I may know something, you may know something, somebody else may know something, and somehow bringing that together. Yeah, is is what what makes the Doctor Who community is. It's, I think it's, a, it's a, in many ways it's a very loving community. I, I you know I know I know there is a lot of there is you know people talk about toxic fandom. Yeah, but certainly the people who worked on it all seem very pleased, mostly that they worked on it. Not 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 obviously in their entirety, but uh, you know, and I think that they. They do seem to appreciate. I mean, you, I mean, I don't know how much of it is is genuine. I suppose is, is you don't want to sort of say it's not genuine. But when you all get together and and do the the uh, audio commentaries, everybody seems to be getting on terribly well. Yeah, I th- I think they do, and I th- and I think generally people are. It was it was interesting as a as an actor in the in the sort of wilderness years. You'd you'd work mm. with actors who'd been in Doctor Who. They'd go, oh, you know, they wouldn't even put it in their program biog. No, they go, oh god, I don't remember. But yeah, that was crap. That uh, hanging around in a clay pit. Yeah. Uh. F- Fifteen years later, you meet the same actors at DVD conches. They go, isn't this marvelous? Oh, I love Doctor Who. And I sort of go, do you remember when we worked on that thing? You didn't you didn't have a kind word to say about it. But I don't think that's them being disingenuous. I think we. All all no. change and I and I think because Doctor Who uh, when it died was a bit of an embarrassment you mm. know actors who'd been in well yeah I was in Doctor Who uh, mm. it's a bit of a it's a bit of a joke isn't it and and then it's, it's hardly it's hardly the porn industry though is it I mean you know. well indeed but but then you know they'd be doing something at the RSC and fan mm. after fan would wait for them and get them and, and they'd maybe see the enthusiasm in the eyes of mm. a child or something and go hey actually I was a bit hard on Doctor Who it's actually pretty good mm. and then the DVD might come out and they might watch it and go god this is better than I remembered so, I, so I, mm. I, I'm not suggesting when those people perhaps change change their attitude that they are in mm. any way being disingenuous i think we're you know we're allowed to change our minds uh t- tw- twitter beware do you know what i mean people might have different opinions from those they expressed 10 years ago how, how, how dare <laughs> you doesn't make them disagree with me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes people change their minds i know i think it's an interesting program in the sense that the only other thing that has the same kind of longevity is probably coronation street isn't it well, really? that, that's interesting because I don't know if you know, my, my house is the BBC television schedules of the 1980s on ITV and BBC because if I like to think that in some ways I, I embody uh, or my life centres around Doctor Who and my partner uh, has been in Coronation Street for 10 years. So the two, right. the, the two of us the two of us are like the warring Wednesday night schedule uh, <laughs> in, uh, in the 90s and, sh- and she's winning. Um, uh. Uh, no, I just, I just think it's interesting that I, I think that 
to a certain extent, Coronation Street has been in people's lives forever. Mm. But so has Doctor Who in a, in a kind of different way. And I think it's something that they have fond memories of watching as a child. And therefore, it kind of repeats itself. Again, that magic, that sense of excitement or, or shall we say, nice scares. Is, is that the, you know? Yes, I... I... I, I I actually did a prose. I, I experimented with doing a prose version of Must Say My Doctor Who Stars that I might mm. still dig out at some point. And I was trying to sum up, yes, that mixed, that sort of comforting scares. And I said, yeah. and, and somebody sent some notes back saying, I don't get this bit. And because I, I described uh, the, the sort of feel of the Daleks, because they are terrifying mm. and yet strangely comforting. I said, they're like mm. boiled eggs and soldiers with a final solution. You know, that, that, <laughs> that, 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 that idea that, you know, it's something so familiar and comfortable and warming, and yet it is so because it's a scary thing which is really mm. which is which is an odd pull but a very clever harnessing of two primal forces within us that need for something that comforts us and and, and makes our childhood feel safe but also that mm. need to be within certain boundaries scared out mm. of our wits and and doctor who i think cleverly does both of those uh, both of those things, which is why I think Stephen Moffat was so clever when, with cracks in the wall and, uh, and, and mm. feet under the bed. He was going, what mm. was scary as a kid and how can I make this a Doctor Who thing? Mm. Um, and, and and I think, again, always taking us back to that. Now, this is my experience because I know there are people who mm. came to Doctor Who late for whom the story mm. will be slightly different. Um, mm. But for me, any, anything that sort of takes it back to the to the childhood is, is particularly affecting, I think. And there's that generation on generation thing as well that people who enjoyed it themselves would then enjoy it with their own children and, and liked in many ways liked watching them being scared in the way they'd been scared and I, I said it sounds terrible to say you'd be sat there watching <laughs> enjoying your children being scared but you know what I mean it, it had a kind of warmth to it in many ways because you knew in the end everyone you know apart from Adric would probably be all right you know well I think uh, being with a child who is scared I mean life is scary so actually having mm. having scariness that is manageable and that is created mm. within boundaries where um, you confront that. I think hiding children from things is, you know, and, and 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 I hate to sound like the old soldier, but this this current generation mm. who has seems sort of terrified to even be confronted with an idea that is different mm. from their own, lest they mother. well in in the real world you're going to be confronted with people on the bus who've got a different idea about how to conduct themselves, <laughs> and you're going to have to cope with it. So this mm. idea that 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 we have to be shielded from things that we don't like, I don't think does mm. us any good at all. Um, but mm. I'm aware that sounds like me saying, you know, s- stay there until you finished your Brussels sprouts. And uh, <laughs> I, I was I was beaten every day, and it's never done me any harm. <laughs> but all of those things are true. <laughs> <laughs> and I only Fabulous. rock myself to sleep at night sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, And Toby will be back later in the episode in another fascinating segment of that conversation we had where we discussed some of his more general memories of growing up with television. Now it's time for us to return to a conversation I've been having with Hayden Gribble, one third of the current team behind the Diddly Dumb podcast. Last time we talked about his early years as a young Doctor Who fan and in this segment we moved on to discussing his podcasting life. So what? So what happens then? You, you, how old were you when you started diddly dumbing? 
Oh, God. Because um... you all, uh, the thing is, you all seem so close. I've been listening to a few of them, and, mm. and you all seem very close, like you've sort of all grown up together. So, I, I, do you, I mean, were you, were you acquainted in any way, shape, or form? Do, do you know what's funny? No, we were not. No. Um, right. But it, when we talk Doctor Who, it does feel like we share the same childhood sometimes. Mm. Um, it clicks we, completely. We go on long tangents, though, um, mm. which got nothing to do with the programme. <laughs> that's, that's the best part of podcasting. It is. It is. I absolutely love doing that. But I was 25 when I started. Right. Uh, and I and I won't mention the other guys' uh, ages for fear that they'll never have me on again. I'll be, <laughs> I'll be locked out of the Whoseum that we're recording. Mm. So. so And you'd been writing the articles for CT before that? I'd re- yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah. I, I, I started writing right. for Celestial Toy Room in 2010. I think around about the time Matt Smith started. Right. Oh no! Okay. Just before Matt Smith started, I I, I right. did a, an article. Of, yeah, I did an article which then went on to form my book in two thousand and nine. So yes, right. that's quite, quite a long time ago now. Yeah. Right. Was he slightly younger than you, or slightly older? Slightly older. Matt Smith's several years older than me. Several. Thankfully. Several. <laughs> right. No, it's just it's just there's that thing when when suddenly they they cast someone who's younger than you, and you think ah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that hasn't happened yet. But I remember when Gareth Bale broke through at Spurs. I remember thinking, "Oh, well, there's my there's my Premier League that, career. That's gone <laughs> because he's a month younger than me." And I thought, "Oh, brilliant!" You know, and look how well he's gone on to do. Eh? So, well, I'm not it. bitter at all. <laughs> no, but um, no, we're we're all fairly spread out in age and geographically as well, actually. Yeah. Um, right. But uh, but yeah, it's just just through. The love of the show. So how were you enticed into their web, or or, or did you just ask? Can I do one? Um, I was just I was just asked, uh, right by 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 Doc. Yeah, Doc mm. asked me on, and I and joined. You never her. left, and I never. Yeah, and I, I originally joined uh, with a man uh, called Matt Charlton, um, mm-hmm. who <laughs> who worked as a tour guide at Coronation Street, which oh, meant that God. some evenings. We would be recording. I mean, I probably met him. Well, yeah, which would mean that sometimes he would be recording his line whilst he was locking up the Rover's return, <laughs> handing the keys over to security and then getting the bus. Brilliant. Yeah, you're the second person today who's who's had a, a Coronation Street Doctor Who connection. That's kind of weird because uh-huh. to- Toby has one as well. Oh yes, and yeah. and. And uh, that's just kind of kind of freakish how they run in parallel when they were sort of supposed to be bitter enemies back in, when I was. <laughs> I know, I know, and of course Phil Collinson was producer for both as well, mm-hmm. wasn't he? So, yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, that was that, that was scheduling though, wasn't it? I don't think there was mm-hmm. any turf wars between Sylvester McCoy and Ken Barlow, was there? I mean, I'd have loved to have seen it. <laughs> I, well, I know they did the the East Enders crossover, which was one of your first experiences of the show. So, Ooh, yeah. so, so, so maybe they'd landed in Weatherfield, you know. I mean, it, I've never, I've never quite understood it. You, you often see these pictures of of the rovers with people, you know, Alfred Hitchcock and all sorts of strange people, mm. and um, and you just kind of think, yeah, they, they, I don't think Sylvester McCoy walking in in full in full question mark brolly and straw hat would quite quite have worked, but you never know. I don't know. The eighties was a weird time. Wasn't it? So maybe it could have done. But it's one of those eras. It's funny. People used to say this about the seventies. How the seventies could never come back. And now the seventies looks normal on telly again, uh, to a certain <laughs> That's extent. Only since Brexit. That's okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> fair, fair point. But it's sort of, it's sort of, it's normalised itself because people have. And then suddenly something from the eighties. I was what I, we did a we ran through Murder She Wrote a couple of years ago. 
and suddenly the massive hair is mm. everywhere, you know, and you think, hmm, yeah, yeah. That, that was the year I was at college. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. So, so th- those photographs are suppressed. Um, mm. I feel as though one of the best things my parents ever did for me was would be so kind as to have me in the last six months of the 1980s, mm. which meant that I could grow up throughout the 90s, which was absolutely brilliant. Definitely, definitely better than, yes, yeah. definitely. Do you still enjoy doing it? I mean, is it is it is it a joy to go in? Is it monthly, uh, Diddly Dong? Yeah, yeah. We we we, mm. we try and put two episodes out a month. Um, yeah, right. I, I absolutely love it. Actually, it, it's but do a, you meet do you meet monthly or do you, do you actually record two at once? Or well, uh, Martin, we have we have a huge um, production schedule. Yeah, we, <laughs> we have a big whiteboard on the yeah, wall. Nine months a year, you know, we do fourteen episodes in that time and a Christmas special where we get <laughs> all kinds of people. Kind and then you get know, three months off to do. Pan- yeah, but we're going to be we've got to be careful because in the next couple of years they're going to split our season in half because of the Olympics, mm. and then and then oh. they're going to start dropping episodes, and then one of us uh, will become a woman, and then it's all brilliant, you know. Uh, and then it will keep continuing. Um, no, we um, we meet in a construct of our mind called the Huseum, ah, which is a sort of like if I could I could describe it as a cross between Doctor Who and Trumpton. I think you're probably. Halfway right. there. Yeah, um, okay, I get it. Yep. And we will record there where the theatre of the mind means that there's no budget. And because it's audio, mm. it's, you know, we can make up anything, basically. Occasionally, we have the lights of Bruce Forsyth and Terence Dix dropping by to uh, say hello. Um, <laughs> because of the time dams that we've got up, which means that they're, they're here forever, which is excellent. Um do you know how it's seen inside the minds of your fellow presenters? Do you know, I, I, I kind of don't, I, I, I kind of want to... You, you know what the image in of, your head is. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly how I want it. It's a bit like with the old um, with the old Hitchhiker's audio plays. You know, mm. you, you, you dream up how the Hearts of Gold looks. Yes. And then when you see it in the TV series, you kind of think, well, it's good, but, you yeah. know... <laughs> it's not It's not my version. Exactly, yes, exactly. So, um, but no, I, I, I still love it. I, I still uh, really, really enjoy podcasting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a real highlight of the day when we when we come together and, and we record. It's, it's one of those strange things, I, th- I think, actually, is when you, when you start talking to people and you really click mm. completely, the time goes. And if you were actually sat at the beginning of it going, how the hell are we going to talk about this for an hour, an hour and a half or yeah, whatever it is? Yeah. You you wouldn't have a clue how it's going to go. And at the end of it, you think, well, that went rather well. Mm. Yeah. yeah. We, we've had certain stories that we've we've dreaded covering because we tend mm. to do, I mean, obviously when there's a new series on, we'll do sort of two episode chunks of that mm. series and then we'll go back to something classic. So we, we switch mm. between classic and new and we've covered the Peter Cushing films. Um, we've covered you know all kinds of different media. We've done Target books, which was brilliant because I've got to um, to interview Chris Achilleos uh, at his mm. home for that because the uh, oh the, wow the uh, cover designer um, see the originals yes and actually um, he gave me a um, he gave me the uh, Abominable Snowmen illustration wow. to put up on my uh, so I've got that up on my wall and signed by Chris Achilleos that, that's a thing of beauty I, I knocked it off for Gruntley a few weeks ago but yeah that's a, that's a thing of absolute beauty <laughs> yeah so it, it's so it, it's so enjoyable I really really yeah. do enjoy it well I mean and, and the other thing is it does open you know you meet 
all sorts of people through the, through doing this kind of thing and you yeah. know it's, it, i know that's not the reason anybody does it but no it, no. it really it, it does open doors because i think you forget sometimes how how many people out there are connected to it but are actually interested you know they're mm. actually and they'll engage with you up in a way that perhaps they wouldn't if if you were just you know talking about spurs or whatever (laughs) (laughs) well we've we've been lucky enough to be invited to be the official podcast for the uh, doctor who appreciation society's capital events right in the past and we managed to speak to people like annika wills and peter purvis uh you know and these are like giants of our childhood you know it's 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 just remarkable to be in their in their presence and they've given their time to you know to be uh to be interviewed for our podcast and we, we spoke to you know, artists and uh you know people who worked behind the scenes with authors as well um it's just absolutely wonderful that they are really really good days out um hmm. and i've you know enjoyed the ones that i've, I've done in the past you see you're selling it to me now i've been a dwarves member since 1977 i've never been to one have you not oh well when they're when they're up and running again if you if you go along let us know and you know Come over and say hi. It's it's oh, fantastic. I I I I managed to um, uh, interview Andrew Smith, who uh, hmm. obviously, obviously wrote Full Circle, and Rob hmm. Shearman, who wrote Dalek, um, Chris hmm. Ferguson's story Dalek, at a, at an event a couple of years ago, which was just mm-hmm. unbelievable to be up on stage with them and you know sort of be being a part of it really. Brilliant, and all because one day. You were asked, and you and, and you said, "Yeah, I'm going to join." Yeah, you in that. That, that's just fabulous. Well, thanks for sharing that with me. That's that, that's been great. No Thank you for talking to me. So I'll speak to you again soon. Thanks again to Hayden for that. He will be back in another week when we will add Hayden to our growing list of guests talking about their earliest memories of watching television. So do keep an ear out for that. And if you want to add your name to that list. Just let me know via the Twitter feed at VisionOnSound1 or via VOS at FabRadioInternational.com. Mentioning that list of people sharing their television memories reminded me that my conversation with Toby Haydoke also went into the area of his wider memories of growing up watching television, which took us via Saturday Night Entertainment and the works of Dennis Potter to names like Victor Madern, John Abinari, and the strange fate of Paddy Russell's production files. When you talk about Doctor Who, yeah, is that your is is that really your main memory of childhood, or do you remember other shows you watched? Other, do you have do you have childhood memories of of television? Oh God, yeah, y- yes, yes, because I when my when my dad left and we didn't have very much money, a, a charity mm. offered to pay to send me to a local boarding school uh, in order because my mum was wasn't couldn't cope with all all four of us no. so i was sort of sided away right. so what that meant was i came back on a saturday night and that was the okay. only chance i had to watch television so i watched right. the saturday schedule <laughs> religiously so um bergerac and, uh, and and spitting image and uh so weekend so, weekend television yeah week weekend television uh, but also London the, weekend television the, the, <laughs> yes I'm, I'm just fascinated really because i think this this is actually more common than we realise is that a lot of people have said to me I've been talking to people you know I say a lot <laughs> some people have been talking to me but it's it's a lot of them seem to have 
a, a parent left or there was a you know in their childhood and and the television seemed to kind of give them a sense of continuity almost you know mm. a sort of comfort in in its own little way you know yeah so are you, are you, are you still a big fan of, of of saturday night television i i'm a i'm a massive fan of saturday night television i remember doing a, a book a book cover for a, an exercise book cover and i did my sort of and i and i did it with sort of top 10 lists of things i like on television <laughs> it was it was bergerac bergerac auf wiedersehen pet spitting image um, well, very eclectic then. Very, very eclectic. Well, it was whatever was on on Saturday mm. Saturday night, um, and I mean, it, I mean, the first time I I heard a Geordie accent again, I I mm. cannot. Uh, I know I sound posh. I'm I'm not actually, but 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 my, my cadence has southern influences because my my grandparents from from down south. But hey, I'm, I'm a I'm a Stockport lad, and people tell me I sound <laughs> posh. So I don't know. <laughs> uh, but. But we we were quite sheltered. I mean, the nearest house yes. to us was a quarter of a mile away, um, mm. and I basically talked like all of the actors I wanted to be. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 but well, they're your influence, aren't they? That's the thing. That's who, that's what you're hearing. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I, all I wanted to do was sit on an armchair and and uh, uh, anecdotalize about my years in rep. That was that was that was all I wanted my life to be. Uh, have a series of mishaps uh, during during a run of uh, an Agatha Christie, and I. Have been, I'd have died happy, um, but the and, th- and a dog, a dog, and four friends, and, <laughs> and go off and have adventures. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Um, <laughs> but the the first time, and we, I, I mean, my mum is of, of uh, I was going to say, a very political. She's she's not. Hmm. But she's a she's aware and she's very decent. Yes, and. Uh, and you know the news was always on and question time yes. was always on uh, and that was yes. and we sat there and we had to enjoy well we, no we weren't forced to watch them but there wasn't much else to do so you may as well so i you know i was mm. then exposed to political ideas and different arguments you know we weren't told mm. what to think mm. but that bec- and that was partially because we were in the middle of nowhere and that was our that was our conduit um yes to uh, the world to the yes. world so uh, the first mm. time i heard a geordie accent was mm. on Auf Wiedersehen Pet. The first time I heard a Liverpool accent was on Brookside. The first yes. time I heard a Mancunian accent was, I think, Terry Christian or or, <laughs> or things that I could particularly... I, do you know what I mean? Because, because, you know, I was from a very small place with not particularly yes. broad horizons in, in, yes. in certain senses. Uh, and mm. television, you know, took took me everywhere. I, the I, window on the world, as uh, they used to call it. Yeah, yeah. And, and things, and I, I suppose we see our own patterns in things that are there, but mm. I, I, I have psoriasis and I and I had it very badly um, mm. when I when I turned 11. I, it had always been lurking. Mm. I won't go into the, the boring d- detail, but I, I did have it very, very badly at around the time the singing detective was on mm. uh, uh so that was one reason to watch it but the other reason or, or maybe that was my recognizable in but then mum mm. would sort of say oh well, and it's dennis potter of course so mm. and then we'd watch you know whatever it is ludovic kennedy did you see maybe had a bit on it or <laughs> whatever so we'd watch around yes. it as well um mm. you know it wasn't a policy but, but but i think we you know we gravitated towards stuff that was mm. about stuff as well so we were all uh, you know i was always interested in not just the program but the stuff beyond mm. but so i would watch high quality 
quality stuff like mm. the singing detective i think it was i'm also- completely convinced that i watched the singing detective with my dad which considering he was he died the year before is impossible oh, but my goodness. for some reason ah. i associate ah. it with watching it with my dad it's very very odd and and a brilliant piece of television you know and of course there's a whole film noir connection to it which just makes it gorgeous you know yeah would you say it's his masterwork i, I would i think it is and it and it's mm. interesting because he well i'm sure there's podcasts to be done about that i know mm. i i, I discovered later on how, how much you know john amiel the director made him rework it and it's interesting mm. how how when he was sort of less indulged in a way we sometimes talk about mm. giving writers their head as somebody that's now written stuff i know when i've listened to a director and a producer who's on my side mm. and actually not been so stubborn the results are slightly better and sometimes mm. i think potter left to his own devices could disappear up his fundamental mm. be too oblique or, or or whatever whereas the singing detective is where it all mm. seems to go right i still think on yes. a on a bad day dennis potter is more interesting than most people um oh yeah uh, absolutely i mean we did uh we did a an a to z on karaoke a few weeks ago a few oh ago. okay i've and, not heard that one yet and then we, and then we so I, I sort of happened to mention that we'd also uh, you know cold lazarus i'd also watched you know for yeah. completeness you know of course. <laughs> as you do but um I, I felt that in many ways it was kind of like dennis's greatest hits but but because he was dead yeah at that point you felt like the text was so sacred. sacrosanct yeah. yeah yeah that they couldn't they felt they couldn't mess with it and there were moments in it where you think mm, you know and that, that's a terrible thing because because it is wonderful but it's just differently wonderful and and i feel that the singing detective just works so well as a piece of television it really does it sort of brings all his career together and weaves it together into one fabulous six seven hour chunk of genius well and the, and the singing detective is sort of about what i'm going to say now you know that that looking back at the sort of seeing the beauty in the pulp in in pulp mm. detective novels and as potter did in in what he would call cheap music um mm. and, and and how that those can stir emotions more than say major art can and you know mm. I, I am more likely to get moved to tears by an episode of a, a 1970s tv drama than probably by one of the great cinematic masterpieces because my medium is is that smaller screen and perhaps my 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 oh, yes. my emotional link yes. with it is is more yeah. and Potter's very much about the sort of um, the, the, the the how we are stirred by not necessarily stuff with great artistic um, mm. pretensions but also at that time it seemed to me anything that was to do with old television I don't know what happened you know when we turned the page and suddenly the idea of looking at old television was to laugh at the haircuts uh, mm. you know usually when as we've we've talked about before somebody that doesn't know what they're talking about taking something mm. out of context to mock it mm. I think it's much look, harder look at the ties in the Sweeney ha indeed yeah. whereas when I my memory of the early 80s was that if there was a repeat of an old program I remember mm. they repeated talking to a stranger uh, and mm. I was like wow this is amazing and, and you had a certain reverence for what went mm. before you which i think is somewhat less arrogant than the way we, we behave there was today. the tv heaven series wasn't there Frank yes Muir, yes you know which which again for for, for for people of a certain persuasion was just gold absolutely on television I, well i remember they did a nuclear holocaust season on the bbc and they showed <laughs> the war game which had yes. uh, which had been never shown so that to me was it was like oh god i'm watching something that that was mm. never shown even though i wouldn't have mm. been able to see it when it would have been shown because i wasn't mm. born but the idea that i was watching something that was sort of hitherto lost as it were mm. and i i had to sleep in my sister's room i went into my sister's room and said mm. uh, is you know I'm is, is is that going to happen and her comforting yeah. words were 
probably but not for a few years so so i remember thinking and i must have been what 10 11 12 thinking well i suppose if i get to 21 i'll have had a decent life <laughs> genuinely sort of thought that because and we lived in the middle of the countryside but there was a radar dome on the hill in, yes. in the distance that we could see and and my brothers were delighted saying and that'll be one of the first targets in a nuclear <laughs> war so and i was trying to work out if the fallout would reach us from where from oh, where that crikey. hill was you know? um dark dark corners of childhood <laughs> but there was a lot of that sort of nu- nuclear holocaust stuff mm. in the in the entertainment of the time but it was mm. it was much more so that that yeah any, anything that had a, a tie to the sort of black and white days of 60s tv or whatever mm. was so dennis potter himself was was you know was hallowed and sacrosanct and, and interesting i think you would leap leap on things on the radio times though or something where it said never shown before or mm. you'd be thinking oh why and i think that's there is a kind of forensic thing about archive tv fans is it's not just oh it's on but why wasn't it on <laughs> and, and i have to credit my f- family who aren't tv mm. people particularly no. but they are interested in stuff my granddad was one of i think 12 kids and he left school at nine so he educated himself um yes. and, and uh, to, to make up on that 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 lost education that he had so i could sit with my granddad who was not a, a film buff or two and if i mm. said granddad do you know an actor called victor madden and he'd go oh yeah he's a cockney actor oh. and, and my granddad just knew stuff he was just yes. an int- he was a man who because he'd been denied the chance to read read and read and read and read and read uh, and i think even though my mum is not a TV buff and was not a theatre buff, she would still take mm. us to the theatre if the opportunity were over, if there were some free mm. tickets going or some cheap tickets going. It was mm. a sacrifice to her because it wasn't really her bag and she'd come out no. of a, a production of... The, I remember we watched the first folio of Hamlet and I'm going, wow, the, 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 the monologues are all very different and some of the characters mm. are different. And she'd go, hasn't Ophelia got thick ankles? Um, you know, that was the difference <laughs> between, between us. I love that, that phrase. Um, but and, and my brothers and sisters weren't as interested in me, but they'd still know what Doomwatch was. Do you know mm. what I mean? They still knew oh, yes, what, they still knew and talked of Quatermass in hallowed terms, mm. um, even though it wasn't necessarily their back. No, it's funny though because you do know that you've got it slightly bad. I mean, I was just watching 1990 a few weeks ago. Oh yeah, a few episodes, Gosh, yeah. And, and Victor Madden turned up in that, and you and each little alarm bell goes off in your in your mind. You go, oh, it's Victor Madden. Yeah, I, I, I have, and that entire network of connections is immediately there for you i have a letter from victor madden upstairs i'm glad i i'm glad i got i got him uh i wrote him because he'd been in a doc two story called fury from the deep mm. which was the first one i could i could recite the whole cast of i wrote <laughs> I, I wrote to victor madden and john abenary and they both replied so uh that they're treasured uh letters in a f- little folder i have upstairs in in the archive in the archive yeah <laughs> Yeah, I've got Brilliant. Paddy. I've got Paddy Russell's production files in in a cat litter tray uh, on top Ooh. of on top of the shelf, <laughs> just because they were being thrown away and uh, right. and uh, not not for it, not for any. Uh, <laughs> the the cat litter things. tray was the thing to carry it in because that's what the that's what a neighbour had put them all into. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there we go. <laughs> Many thanks to Toby once again for that. There remains in my own production files, not, I'm happy to say, currently residing in a cat litter tray, a nice recording of a long chat we had about Quatermass, which I'm thinking of bundling up as a nice seasonal treat for you all in a few weeks' time, so that's something to look forward to. Now, it's not just Toby who has a liking for the lives of those character actors we all got to know through their TV appearances. We recently lost one of the greats in Geoffrey Palmer, and I rang up Lisa and Andrew from Round the Archives to have a little bit of a fun natter 
about our memories of his career. Hello, Andrew and Lisa. Hello, Martin. Let's have a natter about Geoffrey. Lisa, what sort of sprung to mind when you when you, when we said Geoffrey Palmer? I don't know. I I really couldn't pinpoint the first time I saw him anything. He just always seems to have been there on the television, popping up. Mostly sort of secondary roles. He's mm. very rarely the lead in things. But he's, yeah, he's just always there. My favourite thing that he's in is As Time Goes By, which I can watch endlessly because it's... And I hate to say an easy watch because that makes it sound like it's not good. And it is good. It's It's got great actors. But yeah, it's it, it's comforting. Yes, so, it's, so what do you like about him in there? I just like his character. He's just an everyman. He's continually perplexed by the world and things that are going on it the you know the people he lives with his wife his stepdaughter his manager his dad i mean his dad is is a continual confusion to him because he's always getting up to little things you know because his dad's played by um frank middlemas and you've also got to joan simpson oh, right. okay. is his stepmom and they go off and have adventures and get up to stuff that you wouldn't think ips yes. do oh. janet Hemphrey as well yeah she's the um, housekeeper and she just comes in and tells you what the weather's like in the sea you know what, what what's been on the shipping forecast has said and or she'll come in and say you know that dinner's running 10 minutes late yeah. the basic idea of the series is that they met when they were young and then jeffrey palmer goes off in the army and they lose contact his letters that he sent he sends home to her get lost mm-hmm. and so they lose contact they both marry other people and then they meet up again later in life and they decide to go back to where they had one of their first dates and it's this little sort of little hotel in the middle of nowhere and they get hopelessly lost trying to find it mm-hmm. trying to cross a field and they're going through all these woods and trees and they get soaking wet and they get there and they were going to have a, they were going to take a room and have their first night together but i think they did but they decided to do it again and then are too shy and it's just it's just about the whole experience of revisiting somewhere where you visited when you were young and is it the same as it was before which obviously it's not because things change. He's continually frustrated because he's not what he considers, he's not a breadwinner. There's a certain point where he's, he's, he's lived in Africa and worked on plantations and things. And he comes back to this country. He writes his life story in Africa, which sells very few books. Yeah. And then he writes a screenplay of how they met, and, but it keeps getting changed. And he's not got a pension. He's got... He can't offer a marriage. He doesn't want to offer a marriage because he can't. He feels that he's not a breadwinner, and that she's earning the money. It's not until um, sort of later in the series mm. when his father gives him the house that he grew up in, which is a big stately home, that he feels he has something to offer. So it's it's you know it's all to mm. do with his feelings and her feelings and their sort of relationship. And right. when he does several things with Judy Dench because he's in the one of the Bond films with her oh yes and he's in every time she plays queen victoria it seems he's in there somewhere playing somebody so um what is it about jeffrey palmer that appeals generally he just as, as makes an it really real because we watched um his last two episodes that he's in of the silurians last night because that's the thing we're probably most familiar mm. with him in okay and his character is really believable yeah and it's really a shame that his character gets killed off. I mean, obviously, the whole point of his character is to go to London and spread the play, which is an unfortunate thing at the moment. Mm. 
That's the difference between writing and casting, isn't it? You suddenly think, oh, actually, he's so good, we don't yeah. want him to Because I said to you, wouldn't it have been fascinating if Geoffrey Palmer had stayed on in the Pertwee era mm-hmm. as a sort of government contact, a semi-regular? Because you get this thing in, in the Pertwee era where a lot of sort of government sorts uh, are either corrupt or just rubbish at what they do. Mm. Uh, but Geoffrey Palmer was mm. so matter-of-fact, wasn't he? I mean, yes. I know that's partially the writing, but yeah. the way he plays it as well... Mm-hmm. That, that it's not a caricature it's mm. just a real person sitting there mm. yeah and that's not always mm. the case yeah if you look at this career though he was around forever i remember him in, in incredibly early episodes of the avengers and he was in uh, the army game which i hadn't realized he was in the army game until yesterday but i was surprised how many credits he's got in that but things like blackadder as well you know do you think he became more associated with sitcoms generally or is that that's just what? the perception that we have because obviously there are a lot of serious credits like Bergerac, Inspector Morse and all that kind of thing. Somebody said that they met him at a signing and he said, um, you, mm. you were in one of my favourite sitcoms. And he sort of sighed a bit and went, oh, which mm. which, which one? <laughs> and the, the chap said, Whoop, whoops, apocalypse. And he suddenly perked up at that and started sort of raving about right. how brilliant a series he was. And I, I think that's a good example because it's a sitcom. But... It's a very different sitcom yes. to the sort of thing you might associate him with in like the sort of butterflies vein mm-hmm. or, or something like that. Because mm-hmm. you said, Lisa, mm. you don't really know butterflies. No, I've never really had the inclination to watch it properly from start to finish. Mm. But the bits I've seen of it with him, with Wendy Craig, I actually like his character more than hers. Mm. I mean, do you actually remember any of his serious uh, roles at all. I mean, do they stick out in the memory, or is it mostly? Yes, I remember sitcom? seeing him in Morse, and I've not seen it properly. I always seem to come into. Oh it. yes, he's always oh, a right wrong yeah, in really that, isn't he? He's a nasty a, character, yeah. and you, you're quite taken aback because it's Jeffrey Palmer, and yeah. Jeffrey Palmer doesn't do that. But it's, I think that's where it works really well because he's playing against type. Even even got a crown call, yes. right? I mean, it's actually like a list of the history of um, television, really. When you scroll, I mean, considering you know you've got roles in the late fifties right through till the last decade that's basically the entire history of british television give no, just just sort of looking yeah. at some of this sort of other bits and bobs and you know annoyingly there's things like z cars which which we you know we, we can't get hold of or, or are possibly missing but yeah yes. it's just such a long list well he's another one of those actors unfortunately for whom a lot of their stuff is missing yeah, I mean, which is a great shame oh he's in some angels yeah he's i i remember him from angels he's um fiona fullerton's dad all right okay he's in it for the first two three episodes until until she goes away to the hospital to start her training because he's slightly disapproving because she keeps changing her mind as to what she wants to do and she's done various different things and i think he thinks she won't stick with it it's kind of interesting to me because despite the fact you know jeffrey palmer is one of those actors that you just think he's great in everything uh when you actually start looking through these you go well i've watched that and i don't remember him in that i don't remember him in vandervelt i don't remember him in the sweeney a good actor Mm. you would think so it must be necessarily the actor yeah i mean i do remember the kipper and the well yeah i mean yeah everybody sort of came up with that but then again i suppose we've all seen that so many times it's difficult to forget he's so he's such a good reactor to to basil in that episode isn't he because he's Mm. so solid and normal against basil's lunacy Mm. and i think that that's where the comedy really works Mm. because you know when basil's got the kipper in his Mm in his jumper sticking out the top. Uh, but Jeffrey Palmer is just so rock solid, isn't he? That's the thing. We we have Hot Metal on DVD. I think I saw it at the time. Yeah. But I don't really remember him in it that much. 
it's such a voice, isn't it? He was used uh, for the Grumpy Old Men yes. <laughs> series as the, as the voiceover for that. And I don't actually think, thinking back now, anybody else would have been better at it. Yeah, to be he just sounds so world weary, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Did, yeah. I think somebody said, um, "Is can anybody write about Jeffrey Palmer without using the word lugubrious?" Well, we've just failed on that score. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, so yeah, now I mentioned it, yeah. So, uh, summing up, uh, what do you think you'll miss most about Jeffrey Palmer? Oh, I, I, just th- I just think it's the reality he sort of brings yes. to things, isn't, isn't yes. it? That you Did know, he you just believe in him, and that that's I think that's a that's a great compliment for any actor. Yes. That you, you believe in that character no matter what, it, no matter how mad it is. Yes. But he's still Jeffrey Palmer. Yes. That's the thing, and it's still believable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know that that that's a great test of any actor, isn't yes. it? Yes, I. I just think you'll miss seeing him pop up being reliable and, and yeah, we'll just yeah. miss him I mean, it, being there. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. thank you very much. Okay. You take care. Yes. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And that's just about it for another Vision on Sound. My thanks to Toby. My thanks to Hayden. My thanks to Andrew and Lisa. My thanks to everybody at Fab once again. We hope to see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Vision on Sound on Fab Radio International. You can contact the programme via email on vos at fabradiointernational.com or you can follow us on Twitter at visiononsound1 or there is a blog at visiononsound.blogspot.com. Thank you for listening. See you next time.